hello and welcome back to the Go Gamecocks podcast, presented by the State Newspaper. I'm sports reporter Greg Hadley, and I am joined by my colleague Ben Briner, where we are coming off a nice bye week. Ben, you finally managed to get a little bit of time off. I did. I didn't pay attention to things for like a whole day and a half. It was, it was pretty cool. Speaking of not paying attention to things, we're recording this on election night, but hopefully people can get a little respite from politics listening to this. And something far lighter, Gamecock football. There's no controversy about that. Yes, lighter, definitely. Puts people in a much better mood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the interest of keeping things lighter, let's not spend too much time going over South Carolina's last result, a pretty humiliating loss to LSU. But I think we can touch on it just a little bit in terms of what we saw this past week during South Carolina's bye week. After South Carolina goes to LSU and gets smacked around by the Tigers and freshman QB TJ Finley, LSU then proceeds to get hammered by Auburn, a team has, South Carolina has already beaten. When you look at that result, Ben, do you kind of see that as just an example of college football being crazy, or does it say something about, did South Carolina really miss an opportunity to take advantage of a vulnerable LSU team? I think the answer to that is yes, because I think that South Carolina went in and played really, really, really badly. And... You know, uh, someone had kind of mentioned that Auburn did a good job of heating up T.J. Finley, uh, LSU's young quarterback. I went back and looked, and, you know, they threw a few blitzes in there, but it wasn't really a case of that. It was that Auburn played better in the back end, and they played good run defense, and they put T.J. Finley in bad spots. And also, T.J. Finley played a lot worse. I mean, he was spraying the ball all over the place. So I don't know that it necessarily means they missed a chance at a win because winning at LSU is still hard and LSU is still talented, but they certainly missed a chance to, you know, have a competitive game at least because they just went out and played not well. And again, not to dwell too much on the past, but one thing I thought that was interesting was when we spoke again with Will Muschamp coming out of the bye week, Uh, He continued to harp on run defense as being something that South Carolina really, really needs to improve upon. And in these past two games against LSU and Auburn, South Carolina, I believe, has given up over 200 yards rushing and over five yards of carry. And then we look at Texas A&M, who actually leads the SEC in yards per carry, is averaging more, uh, I think, somewhere around 175 yards per game, which is more than any South Carolina opponent thus far this year. Looking at this, Ben... How worried should Gamecock fans be going into this weekend's matchup against Texas A&M that the Aggies will be able to exploit what has thus far been a very porous part of South Carolina's defense? I'd say pretty worried. I mean, that's one of those things that is kind of hard to fix unless people just start playing better. And Texas A&M is probably one of the more pro styles, kind of a weird word to describe it, but they certainly like heavier formations and they like you know, playing a little Powerball. And South Carolina has had trouble with that. South Carolina's defensive line isn't playing as well as it probably should. It's thin as all get out of the linebacker position without uh, Sherrod Green. And, you know, you're you're just talking about a team that hasn't been able to stand up on that front. And that's, you know, it's not like there's some sort of magic strategic change because they basically played one high safety and loaded the box against LSU every play they could, and LSU still shoved them around. So I think it's just going to be a matter of 
people playing better or, you know, maybe Texas A&M playing worse. A&M does, again, have kind of that pro-style downhill running game, even though they don't necessarily focus a ton. I mean, Isaiah Spiller is kind of their lead back, but they split carries a good bit between three guys. So, I mean, that's going to have to be kind of a prove-it-on-the-field sort of thing. You mentioned Isaiah Spiller. That's, you know, Texas A&M's leading rusher. But as you said, they also, you know, have some weapons behind him. Aeneas Smith being one of them. And Kellen Mond, the quarterback, another guy that can hurt you with his legs. And then in speaking with Will Muschamp today, he talked about Jimbo Fisher's willingness to kind of dedicate themselves to the run. Do you foresee another kind of grinded out game? You know, I remember last year's game back when South Carolina's offense was struggling so much. Texas A&M didn't blow them off the field. They just sort of ground them into dust gradually as the game progressed. Do you kind of, I mean, obviously South Carolina's offense has improved, but do you kind of anticipate another kind of slugfest in that regard? I think so. I mean, that's just kind of the way they've been for a while. And Kellen Mond is, I think, a bit of a lower ceiling quarterback. I mean, I think he's a nice college quarterback, and I think this year he's probably playing better than he ever has. But He's still not a guy who necessarily just sets the world on fire. And, you know, I could see them just trying to pound away. Now, maybe the South Carolina defense can't hold up, and that could be an issue. But you're talking about a series that, even though Texas A&M has won every single game, a lot of those games have been close. And Texas A&M's high watermark for points uh, in the Will Muschamp era was last year with that 30 to 6 game that as we said was probably not quite that much of a blowout. So, you know, Texas A&M's only scoring 26, 24, 24 points. Maybe they've broken through, maybe they've got all the pieces together, but I'm a little skeptical at this point. Let's talk a little bit about Kellen Mond, who you just referenced a little. He's a guy that kind of came in with a lot of hype, a uh, pretty highly rated four-star quarterback and has been starting basically since his first year on campus. A guy that has flashed a lot of potential, but not displayed, you know, the consistency necessary to be elite. However, as I was looking, you know, up and down South Carolina's schedule, you know, the state of the SEC quarterback position, I would maybe posit that he might be the second best quarterback South Carolina will face this year. What do you think of that? Hmm. Um... I still feel like Bo Nix is a better quarterback. Now, granted, Bo Nix played just horrendously in that game, and maybe I'm overrating Bo Nix to a degree. But, I mean, Kellen Mond has been this interesting thing where he's he has moments where he just throws a ball that is so pretty and just has those kind of wow plays. But he's not that consistent. He's, he's competent, but he's not that consistent. And it's not like he's delivering those you know, in nearly that consistent sort of fashion. I I take Matt Corral over him for sure. And then looking down some of the other guys, Connor Bezalak, eh, he's not that great. But, you know, I, I just, I don't know that he's necessarily that good. Um, now, some of that also speaks to the fact that, like, after the top three quarterbacks in the SEC, it gets a little dicey. And so... That might really, you know, he might be the third best quarterback that they face. And if that's the case, then they picked, you know, a really bad year to have some okay defensive talent and not really live up to it because that should make the the schedule in theory, uh, you know, much more attainable with some wins. 
Matt Corral with Ole Miss is an interesting one to put number two. And I think I might say, might revise my initial take to say Kellen Mond is maybe the second worst quarterback for South Carolina to face, just because at least thus far this year, he's he's been pretty careful with the ball, only two picks, whereas Matt Corral is much more of a gunslinger. And South Carolina has come up with its biggest win this year when it is able to take advantage of a quarterback trying to force things, do too much. And Kellen Mond, at least thus far, has been able to avoid that. I think it's possible. But I mean, I think that a lot of that is to say that Kellen Mond is okay. And if the rest of the team is working, Kellen Mond looks pretty decent. It's, it's Still, I think most of it falls on, does South Carolina's defense play near the level of its talent? And does it force some turnovers? Because that's always going to be the key. Speaking of quarterback play, let's let's actually talk about South Carolina because quarterback Colin Hill took a lot of criticism after that LSU game. He ran his way into a few sacks. He forced a throw on a pick six that there was some debate about whether how much the wide receiver was to blame versus him. But all things considered, you know, people were very dissatisfied and there were some rumblings, some maybe some wishful thinking that the coaching staff might make a change at the quarterback position, either for sophomore Ryan Holinsky or freshman Luke Doty. Coach Muschamp kind of shut that down this Tuesday, saying, you know, at this point he's talked with offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, and they think Colin Hill gives them the best chance to win. But going into this game, is it a situation where you know, the damage has been done, there's not much he can do to win fans back, or how, how does he right the ship, basically? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what really a quarterback can do in that case other than just bomb away and not have a bad game at the end. And I don't know that he's ever necessarily going to do that. I think he's a quarterback that is going to be doubted probably the rest of his his run uh, unless something really turns. And that's not really his fault because people always assume that the next guy up is going to be that good and that magical. And, I mean, let's face it, Ryan Holinsky had probably better skill talent around him last year, and Ryan Holinsky was probably worse. If not worse, was at the very least on par, and he had Brian Edwards. So I kind of think that it's going to be rough going until they either win two to three more games or pull off one big upset. Pull off one big upset, people will forgive a lot. And it's tough, and it's hard because, you know, I think going back almost every quarterback that South Carolina has had over the past however many years has caught flack for one reason or another. I don't know if people wanted Phil Petty benched. He did actually get benched, I think, after the fade from Eric Kimry, and then Kimry had a bad game and Phil Petty was back. But I kind of think that, you know, he's in a tough spot because it it's hard for any quarterback to be able to sell hope for an extended amount of time and people hold them to tricky standards. I mean, shoot, people wanted Connor Shaw benched into his senior year for Dylan Thompson, and then they were mad at Dylan Thompson the next year. That's kind of life. You talk about upset opportunities. This Texas A&M game, as I'm thinking out loud about it, is kind of interesting just because they are, I think, number seven in the AP poll, and they come into this game favored by about a touchdown. Given where South Carolina is, given where Texas A&M is, that line to me was a little surprising, especially when you consider that home field advantage might not be as big a factor on the odds makers. Do you think this is a good upset opportunity for South Carolina? Do you see Texas A&M as a vulnerable squad that maybe isn't top 10? 
Um, I think it's probably as good an opportunity as any. I think, well, I mean, I think South Carolina will have a few upset chances the rest of the way. I, I, I don't know. I think this Texas A&M team, as I kind of said, I think they've got a higher floor and a lower ceiling. And I think South Carolina can get after them a little bit. I think if South Carolina's defense can play to its level, once you get into kind of a grinder, game can go pretty much any way. I mean, a few years back, they played a horrendous first half and still were right in it with the Aggies despite a kind of miserable defense. And, you know, even the the Perry Orth team uh, in 2015, when Sean Elliott was the coach, they pushed, I think it was a Kyler Murray-led A&M squad. So I think there's a chance. Uh, your, your, your chances of winning as, a 11, as an eight-point underdog still aren't good. And I'd have to double-check and do some of the math. But I think at least one projection system, maybe Bill Connolly's S&P, thinks it's a little bit more of a gap. They're less, that system's less high on the Gamecocks. But I think it's a decent opportunity. I mean, if you looked at this with the most rose-colored glasses, you might be able to see a 4 and one finish. I, this has got pretty, pretty garnet-colored glasses. But, I mean, there's a chance. This isn't a 15-point game. This isn't a 20-point game. It's 8. And 8 can swing on a couple of plays. And let's update the most closely watched freshman to play maybe five snaps through the first five games. Luke Doty, quarterback, People really want to see him in some form or fashion. And Coach Muschamp just keeps on kind of laying little hints that he, you know, he's playing really well in practice and, you know, oh, we're going to use him more this game. And then it really never comes to fruition. Is this the week that changes or are we still, we still stuck in this, you think? Probably not. I mean, we've, we've gone through four years of the Will Muschamp era and we have almost never seen the change of pace quarterback who can run kind of thing we saw a little of it with Brandon McElwain in year one after Jake Bentley took over and that went badly they I think actually had some direct snap stuff to Rico Dowdle or Debo maybe they've dabbled it with it here and there but it almost never really happens and I know that uh, Luke had one carry against LSU for a nice little gain but yeah they that's generally not been part of their game plan I think some of it is limited by the fact that he also has not been a consistent receiver presence. Maybe if he's a receiver presence, they can, you know, move him around a little more, play around with that a little more. But they've also been in pretty tight games and down a lot, so that factors in as well. I don't—that I kind of chalk up in the believe-it-when-I-see-it camp. And that's not a slight against Luke. It's just that they've tended not to do that, and, and really a lot of teams, they, they play their starters. They don't rotate in backups all that much unless the backup is particularly unusual like Tim Tebow was or whatever. It would certainly give us something else to write about and certainly be interesting to finally see. But it, it's not like he's, you know, taking command of the quarterback race or necessarily is like a Jake Bentley was a few years back when he just kind of was that much better than the other two guys he was competing with, at least talent-wise, I should say. I was going to say, it also seems like the the idea of him being a wide receiver has kind of faded each week. I mean, I think he still, you know, will come in occasionally, but he's not really as much of a presence in that facet as maybe some preseason talk led you to believe. No, I think that it, it's kind of settled on the, the receiver groups primarily being a lot of Shai Smith. There's going to be a lot of Jalen Brooks going forward and then some Dakarian Joyner and some Josh Van to kind of round it all out. It, Teams 
tend to like playing their veterans unless the freshman is really kind of that game breaker or is a good blocker. And they haven't really found that with any of their young guys just yet, I don't think. You reference garnet color glasses to kind of envision a four and one finish to the season. I did kind of want to take a big picture look at the second half of the season. We kind of hit a very nice natural breaking point in terms of five weeks down, bye week, five more to go. What is the ceiling for this team, realistically speaking? Looking at the back half of the schedule, I think at the beginning of the year, considered to be a little easier. They're two and three, which is where, honestly, we kind of expected them to be at this point. Is 500 a reasonable goal? Can they potentially hit six and four? And then also, what is what is the floor? And again, obviously the floor being mathematically two and eight, but putting aside a complete and total meltdown for the ages, what what is realistic that they could you know bottom out at? Well, in terms of a ceiling, depending on whose projections you're kind of looking at and whose math you're looking at, three and two, I think, would be pretty solid to successful. Two and three, I think, would definitely be sort of in the okay realm. I could see him going to one and four, too. One and four is probably like the baseline, just because, you know, even if you look at between SP plus and FPI, they're only going to be favored one more time, and they're not going to be favored by that much. So, you know, I would say just going one and four avoids pure disaster. Getting to four and six, I think, is pretty solid, all things considered. I mean, this team has definitely had a lot of spots that haven't turned up the way that they'd hoped or that one might expect. They've got a lot of deficiencies. If you hit, you know, the right set of situations, three and two is probably within reach. Looking at the numbers now, I think uh, Bill Connolly's system projects them to be only an underdog by six, by more than six points in two of the games, and FPI gives them a thirty nine percent chance or better to win four. So, you know, I think it's going to fall kind of right in the middle. Um, five and zero oh seems wildly optimistic and four and one seems quite optimistic and you know i also could see them going winless it it'd be a little hard to pull off but there's no easy wins there i mean your easiest opponent is missouri who's not been good but was good enough to beat lsu and you know good enough to beat kentucky and uh, also bad enough to lose badly to tennessee so who knows but yeah it's um it's it's going to put South Carolina in a weird spot because there's so many games within toss-up or, or maybe optimistic range of pulling off a victory. Obviously, there are a fair number of things that if you said, if you gave Will Muschamp a one and said, this one thing you can fix, you know, he, he'd have a hard time picking. But if you did just say, if there's one area where South Carolina really, really needs to improve in to have a successful second half— what would you pick? Defensive line, defensive line, and also the defensive line. Care to elaborate? Uh, I mean, that's the place where this team has the most talent, and that's the place where you can make the most difference. If those defensive linemen stop playing as badly and stand up tall against the run and get after some quarterbacks, so a lot of your secondary problems get solved. And you know, a lot of your run defense problems get solved. And that kind of rising tide lifts all boats because 
I don't know this is a great offense. It It isn't, but it's got enough pieces to sort of be vaguely competent. And frankly, you know, that group doesn't have as high a ceiling. You know, the, there's some nice receivers, but it, none of them, it's not necessarily realistic to assume that those guys are going to figure that out. You look at that defensive line, you've got four-star after four-star, you've got two five-stars, and if those guys can play like or close to like four and five-stars, that's a game-changer. That turns that defense into something that can cause some problems. I mean, let's face it, look look at last year. South Carolina had a pretty good defense adjusted for opponent, adjusted for competition, which doesn't make a lot of people happy, but... They had a pretty good defense, and if you look at the difference between last year and this year, it's not really the linebackers. It is a little because T.J. Brunson was pretty good, but, you know, he's not changing the world on that front. Their secondary was basically all the same players a year younger and had more depth problems than they do now because John Dixon wasn't good yet. But last year you had three really good defensive linemen, and you had Aaron Sterling playing better. And this year, you have more raw talent, but the top group and really the backups, too, aren't playing to that level. So if Will Muschamp had that magic wand, I bet he'd point at that defensive line and say, play like your star ratings, and that would change a lot. All right. A lot to look out for as the Gamecocks play the Aggies this weekend under the lights at williams Bryce Stadium. Ben, you will be in the stands. I will be watching from home. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a fun matchup. It should be. And late. So late. All right. Stay tuned to GoGameCocks.com for all the latest coverage. And please be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts.